Looking to stand out from the pack at your first job? When you earn a master's in management from Georgetown, you'll gain the skills employers value most, elevating your career prospects for years to come. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash MIM. Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser, the faculty chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, and we're at the Consumer Electronics Show. Hi, Alan. Hi, Fred. Great to be in Las Vegas. It sure is, and we just uh, attended an exciting event, uh, the announcement of an organization called PAVE, Partners for Automated Vehicle Education, and we have some terrific guests with us from the National Safety Council, Vice President Kelly Nantel, from the National Federation of the Blind, Mark Riccobono, and Vice President of Policy at Voyage, Justin Ehrlich. Thank you all for being with us. Thank you. Thanks, Fred. Well, Kelly, let's turn to you first. Uh, Tell us about this new organization and the National Safety Council's involvement in it. Great. Yeah, sure. We're happy to be here. So, as you said, we announced PAVE, the Partnership for Automated Vehicle Education, a new coalition comprised of about 24 different companies, uh, safety organizations, tech companies, startups, all folks who are working in the AV space with the goal of of implementing automated vehicle technology uh, for our country to make roads safer, increase mobility, certainly address efficiency and energy utilization. So we're really excited to bring this broad group of, of stakeholders all together to speak with one voice and to help educate the consumer about automated vehicles. What's in the what's in the fleet today and what's the promise of what's to come? Why the need for I, education? That's a great question. I mean really when you look at all of the media coverage around the confusion that the consumers have with automated vehicles, they're fearful of the technology because they don't understand it. Uh, we I think and I'll speak for my colleagues, we all believe that today is the day. Now is the time we really have to start to educate consumers about the reality of technology uh, and, and get them comfortable with it. It absolutely is a game changer when it comes to safety and you can have the best technology in the world but if the consumer is afraid of it, uh, then it's all for naught. So we really think that this is the time to get out there and get ahead of it. Justin, tell our audience, first of all, what Voyage does before you explain your role in this. Sure thing. Well, thanks for having me on the, on the show as well. Uh, so Voyage is focusing on deploying self-driving vehicles uh, in retirement communities as a start with the goal of bringing uh, autonomous transportation to some of the folks we think need it most. And you're doing that already. Uh, so we have uh, launched in uh, the villages in Florida. It's the largest retirement community in the U.S. with 125,000 residents. And we're starting to pick up passengers in the new year uh, with safety drivers in the front seat. Uh, but we're starting to roll out the service uh, to start exposing people to the opportunity that uh, self-driving taxis can provide. Very interesting. Now, what's your role with this, with this new PAVE program? Uh, so uh, Voyage was really excited to be a part of PAVE. Um, it is, as was just mentioned, a coalition of folks from uh, nonprofit, advocacy, uh, academic, and industry, and we're thrilled to sort of be a part of this unified voice. Um, we think uh, we're particularly excited to play a role in that we're picking up customers and we're really being able to offer a sort of human-centric uh, uh, viewpoint uh, where we can play back a lot of what we're hearing from our riders and share that with the group uh, so we can better uh, figure out what topics we think we really need to focus on in terms of the education challenge. You're picking up riders now 
in, in automated vehicles and their seniors, right? So if you talk about public acceptance and, and fear of all of this, what is it that you are hearing? Yeah, so uh, we're, we're hearing a range of things, but I think the thing that's most surprising and exciting is that people may not think of senior citizens as early adopters of technology, but we're getting a lot of real enthusiasm for um, this opportunity. And it basically stems from the fact that many people um, don't have the ability to get around or uh, they're fearful of driving at night. And when you introduce a technology that can really change their day-to-day -day lifestyle, they're willing to uh, to experiment. And um, so I'd say on the whole, we've gotten a lot of enthusiasm and a lot more communities um, wanting to have us come to the, their areas as well. We've certainly, of course, uh, also had folks raise some questions or concerns. And so part of our deployment is um, being over-communicating exactly what's going on, uh, teaching people about the technology, and really letting everybody know uh, every step along the way what, what what's going on so nothing takes them by surprise. Mark, tell us about the, your role in this and, and why you're involved. Well, the National Federation of the Blind works on raising expectations for blind people in society on a daily basis. We're a membership organization and as blind people we have, uh, well, since the beginning been completely uh, shut out of the class of individuals who are drivers. And so obviously uh, not having access to the full range of options for uh, moving around, for independent travel, uh, it has a, a real uh, impact on the opportunities that you have in society. But there's another component to it for us, and that is we believe that this is really a historic opportunity for us to think about uh, developing a whole new system, but doing so in a way that's uh, equally accessible from the beginning. So not just the, the power of the vehicles themselves, but what are the interfaces in the vehicles going to be like for people? And how are they going to be more dynamic than just visual displays, which is what we've defaulted to in, in existing cars today? Uh, that's going to benefit a lot of people besides blind people. And then we think that our role will also bring innovations that other people won't think about. If you're a blind person and um, you're in front of a row of vehicles, how do you identify which is yours? Well, if you're a sighted person and you got 10 automated vehicles that look the same, uh, how do you identify your vehicle? We think we can bring uh, innovative, out-of-the-box ideas to some of these problems. And uh, I think that is what's going to really fulfill the promise of this technology, is opening up to as many people as possible. And um, from there, you know, the other component is, what does what the delivery service for these vehicles look like? What, what are the economic models? And I think we have a lot to contribute in terms of thinking outside the box from the traditional car ownership model that has existed forever. And, of course, you wouldn't want to have to go back and retrofit the way so many things in society have had to be tackled today. Exactly. I mean, we know, we know that uh, to go back and do that would be more expensive. It would not be as effective. And if we build it in from the beginning, uh, taking advantage of uh, a variety of perspectives, we're really going to innovate some technologies. We do think these uh, vehicles, these services are going to be um, covered under the existing frameworks of the law today. I certainly would think um, 
we, we would argue that uh, autonomous uh, vehicle services are covered under the Americans with Disabilities Act. So why don't we just get it right the first time <laughs> rather than uh, having to fix it and fight about it later. So uh, that's why we're really um, happy that, that PAVE and uh, the partners in PAVE have been very receptive to our perspective and being at the table for these conversations. And we know from the nearly eight decades that the National Federation of the Blind has been around, that there is a lot of work to uh, demystify uh, the understanding of society. We work on this every day, helping to educate people about the real capacity of blind people. There's a lot of misconceptions, and so we bring a lot of understanding about how to uh, influence society and change their perspectives and misconceptions about things. So. That's what we hope to do as well as a partner in this uh, collaboration. And you had a terrific line in here uh, during during the panel about the number of accidents that are being caused by those of us who are... Yeah, well, we, we believe 100% of accidents are caused by sighted drivers. And, uh, uh, now, it, it, it is an important uh, point that, of course, one of the, the groups that these vehicles are really going to be powerful for. We know that um, the group of individuals, the blind population that's growing the fastest are seniors. We, we, we often say you should hope that you live long enough to be a blind person because if you live long enough you probably will be a blind person. <laughs> and that, that is the group that really struggles with giving up driving and that's where this uh, these vehicles have an opportunity to allow them to, to maintain their freedom and independence but also to help them understand that, that blindness is not the end of their life uh, and, and maybe create an opportunity for them to connect with other resources that will let them know that, that there's a ton of stuff they can still do even though they're blind. So that's why we're excited about these partnerships, these interconnections, and the opportunities that come from it. And Alan, I know we've talked in the last couple of podcasts about some of the things that have been going on in Arizona with Waymo vehicles being attacked by people. Um, and so an education <coughs> program is really something that sounds like it's needed. Well, I think, I think uh, there are two things here. One, it's, it's really important to, first of all, understand what the customer really wants, and the customer is the person that's being moved. And, and it's one thing for these things to replace us, the car driver, to do what we want. But there's a whole segment of society, which we've just heard about in the last two, the, the elderly and the blind, who haven't had this wonderful mobility of having a car attached to our hip to be able to go anywhere at a drop of a, of a hat and do that. And, and, and the third group that we tried to bring out that wasn't really mentioned is, is of course, uh, uh, the economically disadvantaged. Uh, there's a whole group of folks who, uh, who really struggle, who have to wait who knows how long for the 606 bus of New Jersey transit that never comes to be able to, you know, just get to a a uh, low-paying minimum wage job or or to go get health services or even to go to the store or any of these things I mean uh, and it's I think these folks that we need to be listening to and and not trying to sell them something at this point to try to understand what would really benefit them because we still have the opportunity to design this so that it's a benefit to them. Sure, we can design it for us because we know what we want. But, but 
I, I don't think that should be the primary customers, at least not for the driverless piece of this. For the self-driving piece, for the Tesla-like or Cadillac CT6-like, sure, okay, fine. But but that's not going to handle the, 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 the blind. It's not going to handle the elderly. It's not going to handle the, the, the economically disadvantaged. Uh, and, and I think those other groups, at least terms of what I'm interested in seeing happen in this technology. It's it's to provide mobility for them and, and we should be listening to that. And at, at Voyage, Justin, uh, so far you haven't run into any issues? Have there been uh, community meetings, a lot of concern when, you, when you've gone into a place like the Villages? So, uh, first of all, I just want to follow up on Because you've gone through this education process already. Yeah, so um, I, I think one of the things that um, was emphasized before, and I think why we're we're getting a lot of good reception in our communities, is just this uh, offering independence uh, and continual independence at a time when you, you're worried it might, it might disappear. And so I think uh, I couldn't have articulated the value proposition of Voyage better than has just been done by by our fellow colleague. Um, but in terms of what we've uh, found, um, we've been. Uh, testing actually in, in San Jose, in the villages of San Jose, in a much smaller community, uh, for almost a year now. Um, and um, we did a lot of outreach uh, up front. We, we hosted a program called Try a Ride Friday, where basically anyone who wanted to just get some exposure to it could come out, uh, see the car, take a ride in the car. Um, and generally, you know, I, I think um, we've been getting good response, but I think uh, partly that's because we've been willing to talk to anyone who wants to learn more, and we will talk until they leave and, and they get all their questions answered. And folks do have a lot of questions sometimes, and that's okay, and that's what they should have, and that's why PAVE is so valuable, um, because this is an ongoing dialogue with, uh, with the, the companies who are building this technology, the advocacy groups, and the people who are riding it. Um, so I see this as just sort of an ongoing uh, dialogue that will continue for quite a while. Yeah, I was going to say, I you know, totally Kelly, agree Kelly, tell you. us how this might roll out, uh, a campaign to educate the public. Right, so this is not a one-and-done sort of effort. Uh, PAVE is going to exist for the foreseeable future as the technology evolves and continues to develop and, and roll out. And I think, you know, to, to Justin's point, a big part of what we want to do is to create a sense of excitement about the end game, you know, the fully self-driving vehicle. Why should people care about that? Why should the average consumer, you know, care about that? And why should they be engaged now while the technology is still being tested and developed and, and, and implemented? Well, the best way for us to do that is through use cases, you know, to really tell the story like Mark was talking about. Why is this important to the blind community? Why is this important to older adults, you know, and, and all of the other constituency groups? And so I think the power of PAVE is the makeup of our coalition, because we're representing all of those different constituency groups, and we're coming to the table and trying to be really thoughtful about how we're communicating and what we're communicating to those groups. And then I think, um, you know... Is, is there, has it gotten to the point yet where you know what forms this communication is going to take when you reach so, out to the public? So today we've launched our website in the start of our social media campaign. But one of and what's the, the website so people can check it out? Yet. It I, just totally dropped I, I my mind. I believe it's pavecampaign.org. It pavecampaign.org. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. It totally went out of my mind. Uh, pavecampaign.org, and then on Twitter we're at pavecampaign. Um, 
And so we're excited about that. But one of the really big things that we'll be doing over the course of the next year is uh, is doing some of the demo days. And so really working with our partners because I don't think there's any better way of helping people understand than to put them in the vehicle, let them ask the questions like Justin was saying. You know, we will stay as long as there are questions being asked. And, and so we're working with our partners on the Pay Coalition now to set up four demo days in 2019 to put consumers in in, uh, in those cars and let them get a sense of what it feels like, what it looks like. Uh, I had a situation uh, a couple of years ago when the National Safety Council was first sort of getting into the automated vehicle space and we took our board out to uh, California, out to Google to see the Google project car at the time. Um, my board chairman said to me, he said, Kelly, you know, I like to get in my car on a Saturday. I want to go left or right out of my driveway. You know, I like the freedom. I want the wind in my hair. I don't want a car to drive for me. You know, I don't, I don't see this. I don't see the need for it or the reason for it. We went out to California and he had a chance to, to ride in the car and to really learn about what they were doing and understand the technology. And he got out of the car after his demo ride and he said, sign me up. When do I get it? And when is this going to roll out? So it, we know that there's power in demonstrating the technology and, and we're really excited about doing that. I just had one other thing, which I think um, uh, one of the things that we found super effective is we have operations specialists who sit in the front seat of our cars. And in addition to serving as an important backup for safety perspective, they also serve as an ambassador to this new technology. It is so helpful for riders to be able to talk to someone, a human that they're comfortable with, uh, as they embark on a new experience. When elevators were first launched and people were very worried about them, even after they turned electronic, uh, you still kept a, uh, an elevator operator in there just to give people comfort and explain how it's working. Uh, and I think we're seeing something similar here. Um, so we really invest uh, in our operations specialists uh, and um, we think that's going to be a critical part of the, the transition as well. Even going forward, I mean, I assume there's a time when you would Envision that you won't have the safety drivers. Certainly, or. over certainly over time, um, we will pull them out, uh, particularly when when we feel that it is um, uh, the right moment for safety perspective. But I think what I, I highlight that is to just remind us that there is this, still this early wave of adopters who we want to have ambassadors helping to explain how everything works. And what will then happen is those early riders will then tell their friends and their friends, and then we'll start to see this usage. But it's really critical to get the first sort of evangelists of this technology to understand it and to be excited about it and to not fear it. And word of mouth, I guess, plays a big role in, it, in, exactly. in getting people to use it. Exactly. Alan? I, I think there's, and I agree absolutely with everything that's been said, there, there is one more other component. I sat on the Princeton Planning Board for seven and a half years and heard all the NIMBYs when we wanted to put a sidewalk down a street. Oh, we can't have a, I mean, who knew? One of the things about these vehicles is that they use our roadways, and the roadways are going to go through some neighborhoods. And, and every neighborhood that these things go through, those people need to be on board. They need, not necessarily educated, they need to be brought in on the whole discussion business because in some sense, the, the, the benefits and the value to the society as a whole has to be made known to them so that they are willing to be invaded by these things and not have a hissy fit. 
okay, and, and, and I don't know what that necessarily takes. One would think that they shouldn't. One thinks that these are public roads and everybody has a right to... I sit on my front porch and I see a truck going down my street and I say, what the hell is the truck doing there? You know, because you know, I'm, I'm bad. But, but uh, one, one, needs to make, one needs to have these things part of the community and thought to be a fundamental value to the community. It's not for the haves and the super haves or it's not for just this group it's for the it's it's to try to bring everybody up and 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 somehow that message has to be brought that way to the community to 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 you know to the people that live in the places where these things will necessarily have to have to operate um, and and not be thought as an invader from space or you know an intruder in my in my space uh, you know and be welcome i don't know how to yeah. do that i mean uh, i think this is this is the in some sense the critical element that we're at right now we we sort of have the technology we have the equations we have the the the, the supercomputers we have all that we now have to deal with this the sociology and, and, and Hey, I know nothing about sociology, so that's not me. But it's going to be—I don't know. It'd be nice to have those folks brought into the discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of the power of Pave is you know to really go after consumer education. And like I was talking about the demo days, we're also going to be doing uh, policymaker workshops throughout the year uh, with some of our academic partners, including Stanford and, and Johns Hopkins. And- uh, about Princeton, whoa, you had help with those well, institutions. What that? Come on, cut, cut it out here. <laughs> but, you know, we, we know that we've got to do education for the policymakers as well. And ultimately, you know, they're the boots on the ground in their own communities making the cases. And so I think it's a really concerted effort. And also for the community organizations that, uh, you know, Meals on Wheels or people that deal with some of these communities and provide support, they need to be... They, they're struggling every day to try to, you know, at least bring some of these other communities up. And to me, that's one of the fundamental, you know, mobility values that it brings to us. And we should go after that and make that happen well. And that's where some of the innovations will come, right? Because those organizations will identify the service opportunities for these vehicles. Yeah, we that, learn that from no them. We learn from them. Okay. Mark, I'm, I'm going to ask you to, to tell us uh, as we wrap up here why this is important, why everybody should should care and, and want to know about this technology. Well, the first and most important reason, of course, is uh, the number of deaths that happen on the roads today. Uh, obviously, uh, one is too many, but the number is currently much higher than that. And uh, as a nation, we have an opportunity to innovate to, to do better than that. Uh, but the second reason is that we also have an unprecedented opportunity to use technology to, to really transform uh, opportunities to give people mobility, freedom, and independence in a way that we never have before, uh, as we've talked about developing innovative service models, and uh, to do it in a way that is uh, responsible, really having the hard conversations about the safety of technology, what does it mean, what are our thresholds, doing the education piece, and then uh, really putting this technology out in the community and uh, watching what the uh, innovative spirit of Americans do with it. I think that's what's really going to be exciting. And that doesn't mean we won't have difficult questions to 
to, uh, to grapple with on a policy or technology or even uh, society, access, equal access to the, the platform, but uh, the opportunity for us to build something from the beginning that really empowers all Americans and creates new opportunities, I think is, is exciting and unprecedented. And the website, once again, Justin, is? PaveCampaign.org is where you can find all the action to PAVE. And the Voyage website, which I'm sure you also were asking about, is Voyage.auto, <laughs> A-U-T-O. Terrific. And again, it stands for Partners for Automated Vehicle Education. We thank all of you for being with us. Justin Ehrlich uh, with Voyage, Mark Riccobono, National Federation of the Blind, and Kelly Mantel of the National Safety Council. I'm Fred Fishkin for Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening.